And we're so glad that you're hanging out with us. We thank you so much for being patient with us as we're figuring out this technology week to week. It's always something different. Again, thanks for all the shout outs. That was great. I want to uh, remind you we're in the series called 72 for Easter, and it, it doesn't, it's not called 72 for Easter, it's called 72, and it's three days that change everything, or maybe three days that changed everything, right? So th- 72 hours, last week we talked about 72 disciples being sent out, but now we're going to have this incredible story about three days that change everything. The question we have in the series is this, what comes out of Easter, I know a bunch of us know the Easter story. As a matter of fact, today, all over the world, people are celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. But we want to think about what, what does it actually mean, and what do we get? Like, not in a bad way, but like, what does it give us? How does it inform our lives? And what comes out of the Easter story? Instead of just knowing the story, what comes out of it? I had a starting question I wanted to ask. I always like to think about the practical reality of what the Bible teaches us, right? We can read the Bible like it's kind of a dusty old book. It's a, some people read it like it's a book like any other book, but we don't have that belief at Family Bible Church. We believe the Bible is God's inspired word, and because it's the inspired word of God, it tells stories about us and about him, about who he is and about who we are because of who he is, Right, And so um, that's something that we have a conviction about. And so when we read the story, we want to ask questions that are experiential questions in a way, right? So here's the question I have this morning on Easter Sunday. What do you think that first Easter was like for the disciples? I mean, I know today, like, you're probably not having the experience you thought you would have this Easter. I mean, a few months ago, if someone said this is what Easter would be like, you'd be like, no way, that's not what Easter's going to be like. It would be totally different in your minds, right? But what do you think it was like for the disciples that first Easter. Some of you came out Friday night. Uh, we had an online Good, Good Friday service. We, we talked about the experience of the disciples and the experience they had with the crucifixion. But now, what does Easter look like? I, I think if you would listen today, you might be surprised. It might not be what you would expect. It, it might not be a story you've heard before, even though you've probably heard the story. I'm going to ask you to do it. We always do Family Bible Church. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God would help us to understand his scripture. He, he inspired it to be written, that we could be inspired to understand it, and that we can live it out in our lives, that it can change us today, that Easter could change our lives forever. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this most holy of Sundays. Father, the fact that um, we, we remember you sent your son into the world at Christmas, but he overcame sin and death at Easter that the truth is that we have this resurrection power in Jesus and that that Easter, that first Easter Sunday morning changes everything for all time. Father God, that we need you. In the the day that we don't expect things to go the way they're going, we need you. For your presence in our life, for the way that you've shown up, we need you. And for who you are. Father, today we ask as we look at your scriptures and as we draw these pictures and we think about this story, that we would have new eyes to see it and a new mind to understand it, a new heart to believe it, and that it would change us. Indeed, Father, it would change the world, that you would change the world because of what you have done. May you be glorified as we look from the cross through the grave to eternity. Glorify yourself today, Father. As we worship you together, we pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. We're going to be working from the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, you probably know where that's at. It's going to be toward the back of the Bible, right, in the New Testament. Um, and we're going to be kind of working, but we're not going to start in verse 1, so we're going to work around a little bit in the Gospel of Luke. So the Gospel of Luke chapter uh, 24, and then we're actually going to start toward the end of the story. I asked the question, what do you think it was like for the, the early disciples, those, those first disciples experience Easter? And I know if you've read the Bible, you're like, oh yeah, it's going to be all captured in Luke 24. I understand that, right? But I want us to see how they actually experienced it, like, like them, like us, like we might experience it had we been there ourselves. And so I'm going to start actually in chapter 24, verse 21. So tw- let's do like um, uh, 19. We'll start at 19 and work our way down to 21. This is what the scriptures say. Uh, Jesus approached him and says, what things are you discussing And here's the response of some disciples on that first Easter morning. The things of Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And this is the verse I want you to hear first this morning. 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, this is the third day since all this has taken place. So I just want you to, the first thing that we see from the disciples is they had hope. Now here's the funny thing about having hope. You hear that, you say, oh, the disciples had hope, right? But here's what I want you to understand. When it says the disciples had hope on Easter Sunday, Sunday morning, they didn't have hope like we have hope. They had hope hope. (laughs) You see what it says in verse 21? But we had hoped. This is not the words of someone who's encouraged and emboldened and ready to take on the world. This is someone who is disillusioned in some way, right? These are people who have had their hopes dashed in some way. As a matter of fact, that's what he, they say to Jesus. Look what they say about Jesus. Now, just so you understand the story here, this is the road to Emmaus story, and they, they didn't know who he was. He approached them, and they were kept from understanding or seeing him as he was. And so it's a real third-hand account from Jesus' perspective on what the disciples thought of this whole death and resurrection thing. You see, they say a couple things about him. They, they say, uh, first, about Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he's from, right? What? He was a prophet. I mean, they say that factually. This is the things we're talking about. Jesus was a prophet. A prophet would be a person, you know, sometimes we talk about prophecy. You're like, man, I, want, I, I, you know, I would love to know some prophecy or something. But we think about prophecy being about things that are happening way off in the future, and that's true. But prophecy is as much about saying what God is doing right now in our lives. And they believe that Jesus could speak right now into their lives about what's going on. He could tell them all the future things that are coming, but also what's happening right now. And they confess it openly. Jesus was a prophet. But notice the past tense. He was. He used to be a prophet. Here's the second thing. What does it say? Verse 21, or verse 19. He he was a prophet. He was powerful in word. That Jesus had power in the things that he said. That he taught like no one else had taught. That the word is dunamis in the Greek, right? It's the power in the word. He wasn't just a preacher. He wasn't just a teacher. He was a proclaimer. He, was, he had authority like they had never seen. 
But what else do they say? That's the second thing they say is he was powerful in word. But here's the third thing they say. He was powerful in his deeds. Like, he did amazing stuff. Right? So he's a prophet. He's powerful in word. And he's powerful in what he did. We saw Jesus do things we couldn't believe. It was amazing. And that's their first three confessions about who Jesus is to Jesus. They don't see this Jesus. That's the first three things. Now what? The story takes a little bit of a turn. 20. The chief priests and our rulers hand them over to be crucified. So sentenced to death, and they crucified him. So he was sentenced to death. They knew that it happened for a fact. Just like his miracles, just like his powerful teaching, just like him being a prophet, he was handed over to death. And then the word says, and he was crucified. They crucified him. I wanted to say all that to say that, this. They tell Jesus that whole story about himself until they, up to the point they say these words. But we had hoped. <laughs> but we had hoped. What did they hope for? That they didn't get in the miracles? What did they hope for? That they didn't get in the prophecy? What did they hope for? That they didn't get in the teaching he had already given them? He was crucified on the cross. What did they hope for? The word says it. We had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. You hear what the first disciples are like? He was amazing, but we had hoped he was more. We had hoped he was the one. What else do you think they had hoped in there? I think it's implied in the crucifixion. We'd hoped he wouldn't have died. That would have been our hope that he wouldn't have died. And yet he has. And then they go on to say that final bit. And what is more, it's been three days since all this has taken place. You might think, well, what does that mean that we're, uh, that we're talking about they had hope, right? I mean, these are the, the, the apostles, the disciples. The, these are the ones that knew Jesus the best. They're the ones that got to hang out with them all the time. And you would think, we have this story of Jesus where they, they, um, they're just gleeful on Easter Sunday. I want you to understand, this is the actual testimony of what they actually experienced. They were kind of hopeless. They were, didn't know. Matter of fact, let's back up a few verses. Let's back up a few verses and let's um, see what they actually say. Let's pick it up in verse 15 now. Just backing up. The same guys, right? As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up among them and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. See, I told you that they, they didn't know it was Jesus. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So you got to get the picture here, right? They're, they're walking along, like, together, these two dudes. They're having a conversation. They're just, you know, they're just having this talk, and someone else comes up amongst them, either behind them or beside them or something, and he just says, hey, what are you talking about as you walk along the road? It's a stranger to them, and they, and they, and they respond, and this is their response. This is I want you to see. It says this in verse, um, let's see here. 18, or seven, it's still 17. They stood still. Their faces were downcast. So, so you get this image of they're walking down the road and, and Jesus comes up disguised. They can't see him anyway. They don't, they don't recognize him. And what are you talking about? And they just stop and they drop there. You know, um, matter of fact, a, 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 another translation reads like this. They stood still looking sad. They stood still looking sad. You can just imagine they're just processing all this, and then a stranger comes and says, what are you talking about? And they just go, oh, 
right? Matter of fact, if you're a blast kid, I want you to go ahead and take that piece of paper. It should be still folded into threes. And on page one, I want you to take that circle you drew and I want you to make a sad face. You know, I don't know what your sad face is, what they look like, but make a sad face. Or, you know, what would the apostle or what would the disciple have looked like when they were sad? That's where the story starts, that they were sad. They were downcast. They stopped walking, and then they began to answer Jesus. They say this. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Like they're going, how could you not have heard? How could you not have heard what has transpired? And we have... um, some uh, folks who decorated for us this morning, and one of the things they did, and I love it so much, is they put on the cross. It was put on the cross of Jesus in every language that he was king of the Jews, why he was being killed, and, and, and that was like the ultimate insult, not, not to Jesus, but you know, to those who were thinking he was the one. So they're sad, they're looking sad in this moment. And, and, and I want you to understand that they're looking sad. And you might go, okay, but they've already been told about Easter. Like, it's incredible to me that they had hoped, but they've already been told about Easter. And that they're looking sad, but they've already been told about Easter. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and jump past what we talked about and look at verse, well, let's see what we're going to do, uh, 22, 22. In addition... This is now after what he's, you know, what things, and he's like, about Jesus of Nazareth, he's a prophet, powerful in word and deed, and then he's, we had hoped he was the one. Now, verse 22, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body there. They came to us and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So that's what I want you to understand about these disciples, because it's easy to go like, okay, but they were, they were, um, uh, hopeless or had hope, they were hoping in past tense, they were sad, and they had already been told that angels had proclaimed that he was alive, right? His body was not there, he was alive in verse 23. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him there either. So like, I just kind of wanted to start there with the disciples and thinking, what were they really experiencing? What was it really like for the first Easter? Because I think we draw a different picture sometimes. Picture of disciples who know everything. Picture of people who follow Jesus who have all the answers and and who don't face any adversity and don't face any confusion. But here they're like, we were told these incredible stories. But they're still saying we had hoped. And they're still sad. They're still sad. Isn't that remarkable? Well, let's go back and see. Well, what, what, did they, what did they hear? What did they see? What, were, what was the story? Now we're going to jump back to 24, verse 1, right? And so we're going to hear a few verses here. Read with me. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. You'll recall, the last thing we read on, on Good Friday was that the women prepared the spices but waited in obedience to the Sabbath, Right? So now the Sabbath rest is over, and they're going to go to the tomb, and they're going to adorn Jesus with the spices that they had prepared for him. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, 
Two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning suddenly stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Those, those first people show up at the tomb that morning, the first ones to come in there found something, and there's two things that they get, we get out of this. First of all, they were confused. The word says that they were wondered. They were confused, and then quickly they were afraid. That's what their experience was, right? So we have the guys right in the road who were sad and all that, but now we have more disciples, followers of Jesus, who show up to anoint his body, to adorn his body, and when he's not there, they're confused about it, and they're like, what does that mean? And the word says this, while they were still wondering what that meant, two men in gleaming white clothes suddenly, like that, stood beside them at the empty tomb, right? And what does the word say? They were afraid. <laughs> they didn't know what was going on this Easter morning. They didn't have a context for Easter, right? And so they're confused and afraid, and they're wondering what all this means. By the way, if you're a blast kiddo and you've already drawn your sad face, right? That's the first part of the story. The second, you have those two circles. I want you to draw two more faces. I don't know what it looks like when you ask questions, you know, because I said they're confused. But when you're confused, the great thing to do is to ask questions. It's always okay to ask questions. I don't know what you do. Do you go to mom and dad to ask questions? I know some of you, when you're in school, when you used to be in school, right, you, you would raise your hand to ask questions to the teacher. Draw two pictures of those two circles, one each face, one that's asking questions. So they're, at, they're raising their hand or they're thinking. And then the other one, can you draw an afraid face? Like their eyes are big, their mouth is kind of, ah. Because that was what the disciples were experiencing. They had questions. They were afraid. And, and the Bible says that the, the, that the women fell down before them in that moment. Right? In their fright, in verse 5, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, and listen to what the testimony is of the two that appeared. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. You can give the disciples some slack for not having a context for what this means, right? Um, someone texted me this morning, and I may have already shared this with you, but someone texted me this morning, um, the church might be empty this morning, but so is the tomb, <laughs> right? This is just as confusing. What does this mean? What is God doing? Or maybe you're afraid today. Maybe you find yourself like that. God, what are you doing right now? That's the experience of the first Easter morning. They're confused and afraid, and they bow down. He is not here. He is risen. Now look at what the word says then in verse 6. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Right? So this is really something that shouldn't have been a surprise to the disciples. It shouldn't have been a surprise to the women. He had taught about it a lot. Remember, he's powerful in word. And they'd even seen miracles that were very close to this, but they had no context for this happening with Jesus. They had watched him die on the cross. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they, verse 8 says, 
remembered his words. Uh, they were reminded of the teaching. They were reminded of the story of resurrection. Here's the funny thing, and I want to just say this to you, church. Here's the funny thing. Do you think you'll be surprised at the resurrection? Like, I know we believe it, but do you think it'll still be stunning, the resurrection? Do you think you're still going to show up and be in wonder and amazement and maybe a little afraid? Because that's the experience that they have. They have been told this was going to happen, and yet when they show up, they experience that. This doesn't bode super well for the disciples, right, that this is their experience. So the word goes on and says that they, they go back then from the tomb and, uh, and they confess to the others. So, so far we've got the disciples that had hoped on the road, right? Like seven miles from Jerusalem already, by the way. And then they were sad. Those dudes were still sad. They had heard, you had the women who were confused and afraid, but then remembered it. They remembered the teaching. And so they run back to the apostles, the disciples. In verse 9, it says, they came back from the tomb, and they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with whom... Uh, with them who told this to the apostles. So you think this is going to be great, right? Check out verse 11. But the apostles did not believe the women. This is probably the most stunning thing to me of all. That on Easter Sunday morning, on the day of resurrection, the apostles were unbelieving. And he says it right there. They did not believe the women about the resurrection because their words seemed like nonsense. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying by themselves, and he went away. Look at him, wondering to himself what had happened. Do you, do you think it's possible that, that they would, on that first Sunday, not have understood and not believed it? Even when someone had told them resurrection is true, even when someone had said, this is the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. And even though the people were saying, I remember him saying that. You were there. Do you remember him saying it? And even still, they don't believe. I just want to let that set in for a minute. That the apostles of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday morning are unbelieving. It leads me to a question, why? Like, why? Why wouldn't it be much more like the story we see so much on Easter that we say, they went to the tomb and they're like, yeah, it's empty, it's awesome. Or why would it be awesome that the women would come back to the apostles and they would say, he's risen, just like he said. And they're like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, he's raised. And why wouldn't it be that whenever they go and tell that story to someone else, they're walking on the road seven miles and then Jesus comes up and says, hey, what's going on? He goes, you're not gonna believe it, but Jesus who died on the cross, he was raised. Like, why wouldn't that have been the response? That's the question. Well, I think we have, we will see the answer here if we go to the end of chapter 24. Turn with me, if you will. There's one more, one more moment that's defining for the disciples of Jesus, those who were trusting in him. This comes at, at verse 36. Chapter 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, talking about what? Let's back up. 35, 33, they got up and they returned. That's the same two guys 
who were walking on the road with Jesus. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11, that's the same 11, and those who were with them all still assembled together. And they, were, and they began saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. That was the 11. And then, they, the, the, then the uh, two that, wait, wait. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And that's when they saw him, right? We, there's that part of the story. I'm not skipping it for no reason. It's just right there. You can read it, right? But then look at verse 36. While they were still discussing these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. I, I want you to see now he has taken these three different revelations, these three, and he's wrapped them up into this holy moment where everyone's back in the room together again, right? And they're there, and then Jesus says, peace to them. And I'm sure they thought, hey, peace, man. Let's see what, what happens. They were startled, <laughs> and they were frightened because they thought they'd seen a ghost. My favorite translation of this word is they were panicked. You know why I like the word panicked? Because it has a K in it. Like, where does the K come from in panicked? I don't understand that. I can see like P-A-N-I-C-C-E-D. I could see P-A-N-I-C-E-D, but P-A-N-I-C-K-E-D? Like, where does that K come from? It's because it's crazy. It's because it's something you don't expect. And they're freaking out. Even when Jesus shows up in the room with them, they're freaking out. Why? Because they think they saw a ghost. The scripture says it right there. They still can't get through their heads what's happening here. Now I feel like maybe this Easter I've been a little unfair to the apostles, to the disciples, to those who are believing in Jesus. But I want you to understand that there's a reason that we experience the hope of resurrection in this way. There's a reason that they experience it in that way. Here's, the, here's three things I want to tell you this morning about Jesus. First of all, Jesus is like us. He's like us. And for the disciples to have him show up in the room like he always did after he had died is a completely different experience. So, so Jesus is like us. He's like, it'd be like if I showed up after I died or if someone that you loved and who's died had showed up in the room with you. Like, and I don't mean, I mean showed up in person in the room. This is a normal response. I want you to remember all the things that Jesus did in his life with his disciples. Not the, we think about the disciples, but they followed him 24 7. Remember what he say? Come and walk with me. Come, I have no place to live. Come and be homeless with me. Come, come and journey with me. Uh, the scripture's full of stories about how he'd sit and eat meals. But you know, he ate meals, he ate every day, right? Or most days he would eat. Jesus would spend time walking along the road as a very human person. He would have conversations with them. And I know we have the conversation of Jesus, but I'm sure he talked about things like, hey, you know, look at the tree over there. I mean, I'm sure just some casual conversations. Wow, isn't that cool? Just some normal life stuff. And so for the disciples, they had Jesus in this category of he's human like us. He, he's exactly like us. I mean, he's... he's it's, it's like one of us. He ate with us. He walked with us. He talked with us. Matter of fact, look at verse 38. Jesus says to them, this kind of colors that in a little bit. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. What's he saying there? He's like, look. Look. 
It's me. It's me. The one that's just like you. I'm here. Jesus is just like the disciples, and that's kind of what freaks them out. Like, I have flesh and bones, just as you see. Look at verse 40. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and feet, and while they still not, did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he, now they're just stunned. They're like, it's really you? It's really you? He says this, do you have anything here to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Now, that's kind of funny to say, ate it in their presence, right? Because you almost think, like, was this a party trick? Like, what is this, like a test of Jesus to see if it's really him in the flesh? But they're saying he really wanted some fish. He really wanted to eat. He was really the one they always knew. He was just like them. And see, that's the, that's the, that's the base layer of what prepares the first thing we get out of Easter is that he's just like us, Right? But here's the second thing then. So he's just like us, he's eating fish, he's saying, touch my hands, look at me, see me, I'm right here with you, I'm in the room with you, I'm, uh, you know, you literally feel my breath on you. But here's the second thing, but I freaked out, because he's nothing like them. Because Jesus is nothing like us. He's nothing like us. As much as we wanna say he walked them and he talked with them and he ate with them and everything else, you have to also remember that everything that Jesus had done in his life, you know, the testimony they gave on the road with, he was powerful in word and deed. He was not like us. He was completely different from us. Remember how he taught us differently. Remember the way he preached was differently. Remember when he'd go into synagogues and he rebuked people was differently. Remember when he would expound the scriptures it was different. Everything about him was different. He was nothing like anyone we'd ever known before. He was completely other, completely different. He would correct and rebuke people who were the most religious and holy people around us. And then he would invite people in that had no business being with religious people. And he would say, come, you follow me. You come with me. And there was something in that we knew. Gosh, he's like us, but he's completely different. He's not like us. Look at what the word says after he eats the fish. Verse 44. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Now see, he's, he's, remember what I taught you before. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Everything had to be fulfilled that was written about me. You know those stories you heard since you were a kid? They were about me. You know the scripture you memorized when you were little? They are about me. You remember when you went to the synagogue and you listened to the Elmerless girl and they read it and they wouldn't touch because the word's so holy? The word was about me. I'm not like you. I'm different. Look at what he says in verse 45. The word says, and then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Do you remember what they said? Like, it's been three days since all this happened. The guys on the road, it's been three days already. They were incredulous. You remember what it said? That the Christ will suffer and die and be raised on the third day, and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. That the, the, the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of Jesus Christ. He's completely different. And this is to all nations beginning first at Jerusalem. And you, you are witnesses of all these things. I am gonna send you out. I'm gonna send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have 
been clothed with power from on high. And so now if you're following along with us and you're a blast kid, you're probably like, hey, you forgot. I didn't. I didn't. Because you got here on the front is you have the sad face, and then you have the confused and, and the um, frightened face. But now I want you to open it all the way up, and you got one big circle in the middle, right, on the page three. And I want you to take on the page three, and I want you to draw a line over that circle. I want to make it, make it into a hill, make it into a, a tomb that's empty. And what I want you to do is on this panel over here, I want you to draw Jesus. And then over here, if you want, you can draw the other ones who are afraid and who are sad and who are scared. Draw them over here when they realize, when they recognize who Jesus is. Because the truth is this. This whole story about the empty tomb and Jesus being alive and the disciples being amazed is because Jesus is God. This is the story of Jesus. Easter is a celebration of Jesus. And it's not a celebration of Jesus the man. And it's not a celebration of Jesus who's nothing like us. It's a celebration of God making himself like man to save us. It's the story of a resurrection from the dead that forgives all of our sins. All these things must be accomplished, the scripture said. That's what he said in verse 46. For the repentance and forgiveness of sins. And can you imagine when they get it? When they get it, it says he opened their minds. Now they see Easter for the first time. Oh, that's what you were doing. That's what you taught me. That's what I believed. That's what I was hoping for. And now they have it manifest right before them. Jesus is God. I just want to stay for a minute on this. Um, he says, I'm going to send you away, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And there's one final piece that I want to talk about. But I want to talk about how powerful it is that Jesus is God. You see, it's been said often that people go, I'll follow Jesus if he agrees with me. I'll follow Jesus if it looks like what I expect it to look like. But, I, but that's as far as I go. And I'll, I'll worship God. There's a God somewhere out there. There's a, something I believe in that's greater than myself, a higher power, if you will. But I can't get more specific than that. But see, that's not the Easter story. The Easter story is not about a nonspecific God who does nonspecific things for nonspecific people. Easter is a story about a God who made a promise to his people to redeem them and fulfilled it in himself, his son, Jesus Christ. That is the story of resurrection. That's the story of the crucifixion. I told you before, we celebrate Easter, but, or we celebrate Christmas, but if there was no Easter, there would have been no Christmas celebration because it wouldn't have mattered that he was born. But he was born, he lived, and he died. And that's the story of a God who is a specific God who loves us and sent his son to know us, be like us, and then be raised to new life. Church, come on. That's the resurrection hope that we are promised. That's what we get from Easter is Jesus himself. Jesus himself, he's God. I, I want to say that because not everyone believes that. As a matter of fact, that's one of the most controversial things you can believe, is that Jesus is God. Not a, a safe friend, not just an idea, not just a philosophy or a life construct, but a living being who made everything, including us, and is calling us to repent and believe good news. You and me, church, to believe for the first time. You know, maybe you don't. Maybe you're one of the, like, a nominal Christian. You're like, I'll say the words and I'll do, I don't really believe that. I'm going to ask you to invite God to open your mind to the truth, to the truth about something that's bigger than this life, bigger than what we see, bigger than what we know, 
Because that's the story of Easter. Matter of fact, we have confirmation that they recognize Jesus as God. Uh, everything I preach, and I hope you look at the word of yourself and see what it says, but everything I preach, I'm, I'm digging out of the scripture. This is what it says in verse 50. When he had led them up out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken to heaven. Right? Now I know that's down the road. If you're a scholar, you're like, that's been a few days. I know it, right? But listen to what happens in verse 52. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God, right? So they began to worship Jesus, and that's something that they had been rebuked for doing before, not Jesus, but worshiping other things that weren't Jesus, but they're now fully committed worshiping Jesus, and they're praising God at the temple, and there's no conflict there whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back to Luke, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. Luke chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus, when he's being tempted by um, uh, the devil, let me see here, verse chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus gives this answer when he talks about, I'm going to give you, the devil tempts me. I'm going to give you all the kingdoms and all authority and all the power. And Jesus answers the devil this way. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. And so at the beginning of the story, Jesus' conviction is that no one should be worshiped but God himself. And at the end of the story, the apostles are worshiping Jesus. That means that they recognize what he knew to be true, which is he is God in the flesh. What does that mean? Completely like us and completely different from us. A holy God, a terrible God, a God to be feared and respected, a God of resurrection hope. What a powerful reality. By the way, that fundamental teaching that Jesus quoted, that comes from the book of Deuteronomy 6. We're gonna talk about that next week. But Deuteronomy 6.13 is where that command is at. Worship the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God and him alone, Right? No one else should be worshipped. So when you got your sheet there, you can write at the top if you want, Happy Easter, if there's still room, if you haven't colored it all up. Happy Easter at the top. Jesus is God. Because that's the first thing that we recognize with the disciples in Easter, is that he is God in the flesh. But here's my closing question to you this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is God? I just want to stick that. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Not some kind of theoretical out there, but specific revelation, specific truth, specific God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that? To demonstrate to us who he is and all he's done? Because that's the first reality we get from Easter. We're going to unpack some stuff in the weeks ahead. We're going to unpack some stuff we get out of Easter, and it's powerful, amazing, Christ-centered, God-honoring stuff. But if you miss this, you've missed it all. If you don't understand that Jesus is God, you've missed the whole thing, the whole Easter story. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the chance we have to remember today that you are God, that you sent your Son, who is God, to save us from our sin. 
and that the resurrection story, Father, I pray this morning that we are able to find our own place in that story because sometimes I find myself so much more like those disciples, confused, anxious, worried, un, uh, you know, hopeless. Father, would you help us to overcome those with your revelation? Lord, I'm going to ask you to do something that only you can do. Would you teach us in our spirit, inside, right now, and there's someone praying with me right now, Father, that needs to know you intimately in their life, for real, no joke. Would you reveal yourself to that one, to those folks? Would you open those hearts, Father, to your truth? Would you take this Easter story off the shelf for us, Lord, dust it off and make it a living, breathing resurrection story? Oh, Lord, that uh, we would honor you because of who you are. Father, I'm gonna pray this. I'm gonna pray a prayer of forgiveness the times that we've made you less. I wanna repent, Father, the times that we've said, yeah, there might be some God somewhere that confessed that you are the God who makes yourself known and that, Lord, we would repent of all that and believe in Jesus that we would have true resurrection hope, Father, as we face life and death in this life. May you be glorified. We thank you so much for the power of your word, for the power of your resurrection story, and for all the work that you do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.